We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And we're recording this on Tuesday, which of course is the one-year anniversary of Kobe's passing. But in accordance with Vanessa's wishes, and um, quite frankly, I, I think we, where our minds are at as well is uh, we're not going to delve into the topic of Kobe today. I would much prefer to celebrate his life, celebrate him on Mamba Day, celebrate him on his birthday, um, and the other 365 days a year. This is not a day that we're planning on commemorating. So just wanted to give a passing acknowledgement to that up top. And that's why we won't be talking about that beyond this. The only other thing I want to say is I hope all of you Laker fans whose lives he touched in different ways. I hope you're doing okay today. My heart's with you. I'm going through it as well. I know all of us are, all of us had a personal connection to him. So much love and light to you guys. There's no smooth transition to this, but uh, Lakers win in Cleveland last night, 115 to 108. And what I want to call a vintage LeBron James performance, but that implies as though he doesn't do it very often anymore, but 46 points on 19 of 26 shooting some of the most ridiculous jumpers and uh, a little help and inspiration from a Cleveland Cavaliers front office member uh, helped in that, in that fourth quarter there. 
I actually thought that was a really good win for us. Uh, Cleveland's a team that is better than people think, and they're better in a way where they're athletic. They get out in transition. They play hard every possession. They're one of the better defensive teams in the NBA. And I had that one circled as a, hey, we might drop this one type of game. Um, so anyway, I wanted to celebrate LeBron James, especially in this first segment. And a- any observations you have about the game in general as well, D, but uh, LeBron, man, just what a, what a treat it is to watch him on a daily basis. 21 point fourth quarter um absolutely took that game by the scruff of by the scruff of its neck and said we're not losing this game um i think there's always a bit of interesting feel to a lebron james return to cleveland um i think before the game and and mike correct me if i'm wrong here um lebron hadn't played it in a game in cleveland since 2018 um and and so a bit of a return of sorts after a a brief delay of what's now like over two years so just just like you said pete like vintage i I would just call it like a classic just a classic lebron performance right where um he just decided like look um, especially after that interaction to close the third quarter. Um, I had made note of it on Twitter because he came out in the fourth quarter, Mike, like he was shot out of a cannon, like just the burst in transition, the crazy jumping of passing lanes. There was a possession before he got the steal that led to the open court dunk where he literally jumped three passing lanes and almost got three separate steals. But, like none of the material lives, but I just thought to myself, holy cow, this dude is everywhere right now. And he seems to have turned up his level by four or five fold. Right. And um, just to see him close out another game this season. And it's not been a rarity guys. Like LeBron has been great this season. And I feel like he more so than any other player on the team has had his finger on the pulse of, of what the team needs night to night, right? He's had a couple of letdown games, but for the most part, he's just been amazing this year. And um, last night was another example. Mike, was there anything specific that stood out to you or, or take it wherever you want in terms of the observations? Yeah, I want to spend some time on the fourth quarter for sure. But we we shouldn't forget that he actually came out of the gates uh, really hot too. And he closed the first quarter with back-to-back threes. I believe he hit four of his threes in that first quarter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we're, so throughout the game, we were kind of talking about, all right, well, LeBron just passed his, his percentage from his best shooting season in Miami in 2012-13. And of course, look, it's a quarter of the way through the season, but it's just looking, it reminds me of when we started to see AD's jumper come around in the bubble and Darius kind of perfect time for one of those. Oh, okay. So it's going to go in like that. It's going to (laughs) just not touch the rim. Okay. And that's what his shots looking like right now. And I've never seen it certainly in person. Except maybe from those Miami seasons when he was getting all those open threes and he was really focused on his efficiency and it's just locked and loaded and going in, which makes him of course, completely impossible to guard. Um, in any facet. And so now to get to the fourth quarter, the scoring was one thing. And how about doing it? The 21 points you guys mentioned on nine of 10 from the field goal uh, for, for field goals, three of four from three. 
And here's the other thing, though, about the fourth quarter. Two blocks, two steals, no turnovers, two assists. I, it's as close to a perfect quarter uh, as you're going to see other than those, you know, once in a generation type ones, like from clay, you know, the 37 point like that, or, you know, the, the occasional, the ones that we used to see from Kobe. And it was just, it just built. And yes, I get that he got some additional motivation from a Cavs front office exec, which who is yet to be named. Um, I'm sure there are plenty Jason of Hillman. Uh, McMenamin found it. Jason Hillman. He was the chief of staff for the, the Cavs general I, I, chief of staff of something for the Cavs. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Thank you, Pete. And uh, thank you, Dave. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Peter Hillman. Uh, so that was, <laughs> that was fun to watch. And <laughs> it just, it just goes back to the centerpiece of all of this stuff. And this is a fun time to be on Twitter last night on Lakers Twitter when something like this is going on. And I think the the thing that I thought most about was just, all right, here's the MVP narrative. This is like, this is the first, this is the opening salvo. This is the opening burst for MVP leader, a, a statement game, 46 points, the dunks, the blocks, the, uh, the scoring, the narrative, right. Element, which we all love with the thanks now, according, apparently according to, J- uh, to Jason Hillman, who just celebrated too much on a shot that LeBron missed according to LeBron <laughs> like that. You know, that, he probably just like, you know, he probably just like lightly clapped and LeBron did that whole like LeBron, Jordan, Kobe are all this like they have this insane part of them. or like, oh, what was that now? You like they're just looking for that any motivation. Right. And and he was able to get that from from that. I, I'd like to think that the Trude, the famous Trudelian Zen peace of mind that it's all going to be okay with this team comes from the fact that not only do we have the like 27, seven and seven type of LeBron at at all times, there's also that 46, eight and 12 version in them, in him, uh, still in him. Right. And that he is capable of going up even a couple of levels from what we saw last night. Right. That was largely off of jump shots. The thing that struck me guys is I, I came across a LeBron highlight video from the Cleveland days from the late two thousands, which is just crazy. Cause that's like a dozen years ago. Right. And he's still dominant. One of, if not the, the, you know, one of the very best players in the NBA at the time. And he came off of a ball screen and he planted his left foot in the ground and he just exploded up and just yammed on guys. And it was one of those like, Oh yeah, he doesn't do that out of that exact same scenario anymore. Cause he can't, he's, he's older, right. Or if he can, he's only got so many uh, bullets left in the, in the chamber. Kobe talked about that dunk on a Mecca Okafor in the first round of the 2012 playoffs, right. Where uh, he, he mentioned one of those Lakers were down by nine in the second quarter and he just raised up and yammed on, on Okafor and somebody asked him and he's like, yeah, I only got so many of those, but he knew when to, to use them. And LeBron does that too. But what strikes me, Darius is the way that, he is able to produce like we haven't seen any dip in his production at any point in his career, but how he goes about it is not the same way that he's always done it. I've been calling him cyborg LeBron on certain nights, these last couple of seasons. Um, He really is like, we, we often talk about LeBron's brain and I've used this term before as like a supercomputer, right? Like he's like the ultimate learning machine. And you had those quotes coming out of the Bulls game, for example, where um, I can't remember who said it from the Bulls side, but that Patrick Williams, yeah, the yeah Patrick Williams, where he was talking about um, LeBron knowing the team sets 
right? And um, LeBron's affinity for the film room, not Pete, but for the film room. And um, the idea of LeBron being the strategic thinker from an X's and O's standpoint, and then how he deploys that on the court. But there is also an element of evolution within his game that is also very mental for a player who reaches his heights and who has had the longevity that he's had. And there's a, there's a necessity of knowing thyself that is important when you're going to be an elite player for a long time. And this can totally go in a different direction. Like you've seen players like um, Vince Carter, I think is probably the best example of how that can go the other way, right? Where Vince Carter knew himself. He understood if he was gonna continue to be an NBA level player, that was going to require a decrease in usage, a decrease in all of these other things that made him the superstar that he was. But in order to maintain um, rotation level ability at the NBA level, he was going to have to change and withdraw some from what made him a Hall of Fame player. And LeBron has taken that in the other direction. He has said, all right, well, in order to remain the best player in the league or one of the two or three best players in the league, these are the changes I'm going to have to make to my game. These are the in-game adjustments I'm going to have to make in response to a certain type of action, how I come off a screen, how I navigate a pick and roll, how often I'm going to try to put a guy in jail rather than try to explode first step coming off, off of a ball screen. And those are tweaks that you make over time, right? They're not like, oh, one season I'm doing this and the next season I'm doing that. You slowly incorporate that stuff into your game until you can then dominate doing that the majority of the time. And that takes a truly special, special player. Like we always talk about these generational talents, Mike, but this is what that means too. It's it's not just this combination of, of athleticism and skill and and even the mental side, it's it's your ability to each step of the way evolve and change, right? Yeah, for sure. And one way that I think about the evolution of him and this this mixing of the mental and the physical, it's he still he still has enough plays that are physically overwhelming and athletically overwhelming that I it feels dumb to even question or compare you know his athleticism to previous years because clearly it's still more than enough. And the block that he had in the fourth quarter where he almost smashed his head on the rim, that, that burst there, or, you know, when he cuts to the hoop and he gets up for that extra double pump or, but I also noticed that there are times where he chooses not to do that. And a lot of times it's through traffic. And I think part of it is just his intuitiveness, not to want to get wrapped up in a way that he's going to go down to the ground. And so he's another way to put it. So he, I'm trying to remember what the play was. Um, Pete, you may remember this specifically, but he had just hit a three and then he's cutting to the hoop and he does, you know how he does that little, like he protects the ball, he gathers, and then he'll go to the side of the rim and just sort of, uh, sort of twist in a layup where mm-hmm. he like a right-handed. Could, yeah. Yeah. He, the right, right. The right-handed with the English, like he, mm-hmm. he could probably yam that yeah. if he wanted to or needed to, but it's, he's, that's for the most part an unstoppable play. Now Giannis did get one of them. Uh, in the Milwaukee game. So there, it, there is that, that little percentage point that leaves, uh, that leaves it open for the defense to get, but 
it's a calculation that I think he's making mentally that, all right, for the most part, in those type of situations with a little bit of traffic, I'm going to go around, I'm going to use my body, uh, I'm going to use a little English. And, and then he'll save sort of the explosive burst plays when he knows he's not going to get hit. And I, I could just be, that could just be my own thing. And this, this, maybe this isn't a part of it, but I just wonder if that's part of that physical mental uh, battle that he goes through uh, and over the course of the game. Oh, I think you're a hundred percent right about that, Mike. That's something that I, he's making that calculation of how can I be the best player I can be without jeopardizing my body. Right. And his goal throughout the season is to be ready for the finals, ready for the playoffs and the finals. And his goal throughout his career is obvious to, to dominate the game for two plus decades, you know, and you don't do that without making that calculation. And if that's a finals game and he's driving against Giannis, maybe he does try to dunk it. And maybe he doesn't yam on him, but maybe gets to the free throw line instead of getting that shot blocked. So there is that little bit of a sacrifice that he's going to make. But is it worth it to save those for the finals, save those for the playoffs? Absolutely. And we see that in him still being able to come up with these types of performances at this point of his career. The the thing that strikes me and that's I've loved watching him on a daily basis because I learned so much about basketball through watching him on a day-to-day basis. It's like watching Mozart. Like what if you got to watch Mozart write music every day, you know, and the process is just way different from hearing the Finnish symphony versus the, the writing process that goes into that. And I've, my appreciation for not just his understanding of the game, but his understanding, like what is the intelligence behind how to use your strength? Strength is an attribute that's always treated like this brute kind of mindless thing, but he knows exactly when to use his physicality. And that is when we speak of his athleticism, we often talk about his ability to jump or run fast, which as you said, Mike, are still very, very impressive, but that ability to understand when to bump somebody at the exact right moment or when to avoid them and seal somebody on your hip. There was a play on a fast break. It was either this past game or the game before where he caught it. And in one motion, there was a a young player streaking up court, trying to get that chase down block. And that's one of the things I love watching the first and second year guys in particular, like a Coro against LeBron. Like the first time somebody plays against LeBron, you can very much see LeBron hit this turnaround jumper right in the middle of the free throw line, Darius. And Okoro was sitting in the chair. He's in perfect position, stabbing with his hands, like totally locked in. And this is like, you know, the moment he's dreamed of his whole life to defend. And Okoro's a defender, right? Like I'm defending LeBron James for the first time. And LeBron, you know, he played great defense. LeBron just hits this ridiculous shot. But anyway, the, uh, the fast break play was... LeBron caught it and he shot a right-handed layup, but it was one of those duck unders where if he, uh, if he went up normally, it would have gotten blocked. Right. And so just the understanding, the game moves so slowly to him on top of everything else that he knows exactly the point to use his strength because he sees things so slowly. So these are two things that I've never really connected their relationship in basketball before is how slowly you see the game and not just anticipation, but the idea of using your strength in the context of, I know I'm rambling and I might not be making sense here, but using strength in the context of understanding what's about to happen. Yeah. And Darius, it's also, he makes a lot of those same decisions about when to shoot and when to drive. 
that's kind of that same calculus. Mm -hmm. And sometimes yeah. you'll be thinking, all right, it's the second quarter, man, the opposition is on a run. Why doesn't LeBron just take this to the hoop and he'll take that step back three or something. But that's, that's all part of the season long 365 day calculation, right? Yes. But also too, Mike, like one of the things that you get from watching a truly great player and that's what LeBron is, is how they almost totally disregard the defender in front of them, except when it comes down to clock. And, like there's literally, and Pete, you've talked about this a bunch, right? About like the incremental decisions that go into any given basketball play that are not highlighted by those who are actually like announcing the game in order to give the viewer a better understanding of all of the things that are going on. Like I no longer watch the NFL, but when I did, I thought that the best announcers were always talking to you about all those 11 defenders that were on the other side and all of the little mental things that the quarterback is trying to take into account in order to have success on that given possession, right? Like, oh, here comes the strong safety, like taking two or three steps up. But, and then simultaneously, the cornerback who was impressed is now playing off. And now you see this outside linebacker tap the defensive end who then scoots in six inches and you're like, there's too much going on here. But- Basketball players are experiencing those same exact variables for their given sport on every possession. And Mike, to speak to your point, there are times where LeBron decides he's shooting that step back three because he's making all of these calculations in his mind about, oh, look, the backline defender, he now has a full three seconds again to be in the lane because he just lifted his foot up in order to get out and get legal in order to then crowd the paint again. And and in the meantime, LeBron sees that there's four seconds on the shot clock. So he's thinking to himself, I'm sure, or maybe I'm just guessing here because this is how my simple brain thinks, but I've got four seconds to either get to the rim, but the defender can sit in there for three seconds. So what is the right play here? The right play is to be cyborg LeBron. I'm going to look at my right hand. I'm going to take that step back and I'm going to nail this three instead of driving there. And there's an infinite number of decisions that need to be made. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed on any given basketball possession in order to be successful. And Pete, to your point, 
the wonder that I still have of watching a player like LeBron is navigating all of those decisions, choosing the right one almost every single time, seemingly, and coming out on top as often as he does as a reflection of his skill level, of all of his physical gifts, and that mental piece tying it all together. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Lakers have a, an interesting little three-game and four-night stretch coming up that I would love to get your guys' thoughts on. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview, all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. So we have a Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday stretch coming up where it's Philly on Wednesday, then the Detroit Pistons on Thursday, which screams trap game, and then a Saturday matchup against the hated Celtics. I think that both the Sixers and the Celtics present interesting, they they present different matchups than we've faced for much of this season. With Philly, the Embiid matchup, right? We've talked a lot about how Embiid's kind of taken a step forward this season. I am of the belief in, uh, that Marcus Gasol will be particularly helpful in that game and in games against not just Embiid, but like Jokic and these bigger guys. There was an interesting stretch in last night's game against Cleveland. Uh, Trez was out there. Trez led the Lakers with a plus 18 and was fantastic for all that he's capable of. But it was between watching his Clippers tape and then watching last night and a couple of other games, at a certain point, a guy becomes too big for Trez to be able to defend. And Drummond took it right to Trez's chest in a lot of that second quarter. The Lakers made the adjustment in the second half, right, to have AD defend Drummond down the stretch of that game and got great results of it. That's part of the reason why with Trez, I'm like, it's fine. Like in playoff scenarios, Trez will be fine because we will have other people who can cover for him. That said, Marc Gasol has a reputation as being a particularly good against Joel Embiid. So let's let's focus on Philly first before we get to Boston. What are you looking forward to in that Philadelphia game, Darius? Just that matchup, um, Embiid versus the Lakers bigs, starting with Gasol, but also against Anthony Davis. And then the defensive deployment of Ben Simmons and his potential to guard LeBron. Um, and what that means for the Lakers, there may not be a better defensive duo that you can deploy against the Lakers two stars than Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, right? Just their physical profiles, their size, um, their general athleticism and their aptitude as defensive players, right? 
they're not just big and athletic and strong. They're also very good committed defenders and the ability to deploy those guys onto the Lakers best players is what makes this game interesting to me is that I do envision Mark Gasol being a super valuable defensive player against Joel Embiid. But I also think that the 76ers are almost surely going to deploy Embiid onto AD and they might put Tobias Harris on Mark Gasol or someone else. Right. And just say, they'll live with that. From that perspective, it's really like keying in on the stars there um, and just the war that can exist in terms of who's going to control the paint in that specific matchup. Because we always talk about the Lakers want to threaten the front of the rim, but um, the Sixers, that's what those two stars are doing this year. And it's one of the reasons why Philly looks more of a threat to me this year than in years past. With Philly, you're getting 48 minutes of rim protection because it's not just Embiid, it's Dwight Howard, who they got from the Lakers, of course. And Dwight, I think, will be particularly motivated as we saw JaVale McGee was. And JaVale had some bright moments and he also got out of his head a couple of times. It was was fun to watch. Uh, And I think Dwight, though, you know, the Lakers, ultimately, we've talked about this so many times, their strength uh, last year was getting to the rim on offense, protecting the rim on defense and the ability of LeBron and AD specifically um, to get there. And they didn't have to face a team in the postseason that had a true, I mean, other than I guess Portland with Whiteside, but they just pulled him out. It wasn't kind of the same deal, like a, a true big who's dominant. That's going to be in there for most of the time, uh, like Joel Embiid that can protect the rim and then Dwight. So I, I'm, I'm just curious to see, how they play this. Uh, do they end up settling for more jump shots? What if the threes aren't falling? Does LeBron really feel like, especially with where they are at the season, especially coming up the 46 point game, is he going to want to make those decisions to attack the rim a lot? I don't know. Uh, is, is AD going to feel like this is a game where he can really get into the paint since he hasn't been shooting the ball as well lately. So I do think that the Lakers are a little bit susceptible there. Um, and I want to kind of use this Pete uh, and Darius to get your guys' opinion on something that I've been thinking about as well. And it's the whole not able to play 11 guys thing um, that Frank Vogel has been talking about lately. And so ultimately it's a great thing. I think it's good for the Lakers. It's good for their prospects in the postseason, et cetera. What it might not be great for is guys finding a rhythm from a day-to-day basis uh, because he can't play Alex Caruso enough minutes. He, he can't even play KCP. Like KCP should be playing 35 minutes the way he's playing right now. He can't do that. He can't play Wesley Matthews enough to get him a true rhythm. He can't play THG every other game. He can't get Marquise Morris enough shots. So this is a, while the Lakers are this healthy and knock on wood, we hope they stay that way all year. Uh, that, that to me can impact a, a trip like this or a series of, of notions like this. And I, I, th- I just think that ties together some against Philly where they're going to have to hit some shots. And I know they've been hitting shots all year except for the last two games and you know, where the, the outside shot other than LeBron, it just hasn't been going down. Pete. Yeah. So with the couple things with the 11 man rotation thing, one thing, this has not been tried before, so I'm not going to pound my desk and say Vogel has to do this or anything, but I would love to see them keep that 10 man rotation, but kind of like baseball have a, when you got four outfielders, one guy's going to sit every three, four games, right? With 11 guys and 10 spots to really fill in a rotation that, that Vogel's comfortable with. Kind of how the yeah. Dodgers did it. They've done the last couple of years. 
Yeah, give give a guy. I mean, and a lot of this will be taken care of by somebody banged up for one night that would normally be in the rotation. And then your problem of one too many guys is solved. But I would love for every 11 games you get a night off. Right. And it's not so much of a, a time off where you're out of you fall out of rhythm, but it's enough to where everybody's in, in fact, I would say all 11 guys do get a chance to be able to do that. So anyway. I want to talk about Philly before. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that too, Darius, about that kind of musical chairs. One guy ends up standing up while everyone else is, is sitting down. With Philly, they are similar to the Lakers also in the respect of not just rim protection. And this is a first cousin of that. But they're really strong. Like Embiid's one of the strongest players in the NBA. Ben Simmons, relative to his position and skill set, is big and strong. Danny Green is big and strong, right? And so they're a big team. They got Dwight off the bench doing that as well. and. In that Milwaukee game, one thing that was notable to me and why I'm glad we won that game and it was an impressive win, the 19 threes kind of loom, like, is this a sustainable thing? Is that, you know, Milwaukee got all those points in the paint against us and they did it by going through us on a lot of positions. Philly has a lot of guys, Darius, that can go through you in a way that I think is going to challenge this team. And I, I'd actually be pleasantly surprised by a win in, on Wednesday. That would be their most impressive road win of the season to me. Oh, it definitely would be to this stage. I'm not going to get too deep into anything because I have questions right now for you guys. Andre Drummond kicked the Lakers' ass to a certain extent, right? Like he was just big and mobile in ways like, you know, they call him the big penguin because he's sort of slippery inside and he's built like a penguin, but he's freaking massive, like a giant. I didn't know they called him that. Yeah, they call him the big penguin. Uh, Anyways. All right. And so, but he was dislodging. Guys, he got Mark into early foul trouble. Um, he had some difficulties against um, AD's length and AD's ability to play strong against him. Um, MB, it, produced, it, it produced a couple of tweets from uh, from you, though, that I always look forward to. Packed. Packed, my friend. Packed. <laughs> Packed tweet. It's so time. 90s. It's such a 90s basketball word. I love it. Oh, man. I love it. It's the most descriptive word for a block. It just is. I mean, it's 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 that's what it is. It's what happened, man. You got packed. So, I would say, so, sorry, quick side branch here. Not every block shot you get packed. Like packed is when you, you kind of like catch it in your hand. You got to like sore shoulder afterward because you they jammed it back. Now, they, there are swats, there are packs. Are there different uh, different types well, yeah, of blocks? Pack, no, of, cor- of course the pack is like you're literally, you're trying to shove everything into the suitcase and you right. have to, you have yes. to exert that force uh, of like your hand has to stay on the ball for a certain amount of time, right? It's like LeBron's swat where it went into the the 10th row. That's not a pack, uh, right? Is more because that like that, the the contact of the hand has to stay in the ball, Darius, for me uh, to be packed. Yes, you are over the top of the guy. And Drummond, for all of his athletic ability, AD was just getting over the top of him when he was blocking these shots and he was packing him. There was no other way to describe it. He was getting packed on all of those blocks. By the way, LeBron's block of, um, I can't remember, was it Darius Garland or was I it? I think it was six in the transit, the chase down one? Yes, the one where yeah. the one where they had to review it. Uh-huh, yeah. I think, I think it was six. I just wanted to say LeBron obliterated coups on that. Go back and watch the tape and <laughs> yes, just watch did. how Braun just obliterated Kuzma, man. Kuzma. Kuz made a very earnest effort on defense, too. He was ready to do what he needed to do and then just like, yeah. And then he <laughs> took the brunt of LeBron James jumping and blocking that shot. Sexton hey. didn't get touched, but Kuz got destroyed. 
quick note on that. I, I may stop me if I've told the story before, but and Kuz is a much bigger guy than me. But a few years ago, they had the celebrity like 710 ESPN radio game against, you know, whoever, whichever, like, uh, quote unquote stars they could get in. So, you know, it was like Josh Duhamel, people like that. But Corey Maggette played on the other squad. And I, you know, I wasn't guarding Maggette. I was guarding Sugar Shane Mosley, who, by the way, couldn't play at all. Uh, right. Which was oh, so I was surprises me. Okay. At all. I mean, look, he, I, I wasn't trying to fight him. But I was going to say, I, you're talking, you're talking real big about a former professional boxer. You're like, this guy is terrible. Yeah, yeah, we got to make this go viral. We got to set up a celebrity boxing match between. So Trudell he and was, so I would just, so Shane was just kind of, you know, freelance. He would go stand in the corner and I sure. would just leave. I would literally just leave him and just go trap and double team. And, and, and especially McGetty and he, uh-huh. and McGetty is starting to get annoyed. He's like, dude, wh- what are you doing? I'm like, Hey man, like <laughs> if you go pass it to sugar Shane, if you don't yep. want to get trapped here. And he was getting annoyed in that same way that, that athlete, you know, pro athletes are kind of like, you don't know the game if you haven't played the game. And he was getting annoyed that I was, that we were playing somewhat of a mental basketball game here in this pickup game. Um, yeah. And anyway, I, I made the mistake though. One time I kind of like, I cut the wrong way and not the wrong way, but I cut and I just ran into McGetty and it felt like an absolute damn brick wall. I, I've never, it made me understand, at least again, to an extent. Now, Maggetti is a big, solid dude. Uh, talking about packed, I mean, that dude's abdominal area, right? Darius is, and and then there are only so many pl- so many players that are as solid as that. And then there's LeBron, who not only is just as solid, but is about four inches taller and forty pounds heavier than Corey Maggetti. And it just makes me think every time somebody runs into him that just has, I don't care how strong it has to like legitimately your, your, it just sends like shivers through your whole body. And that's what Kuz had on, that, on the time. Absolutely. When sex into the Raptors. Thankfully he doesn't have to face too many of those, uh, you know, and LeBron's dishing out that punishment, you know, to, to other teams. I, sorry, quick question. I hearing about your pickup ball experience. I, I have a question for you, Mike, where do you stand oh, cool. on, Great. on taking charges in pickup games? Oh, it, it's not going to happen. For no. me, at least. Yeah. Well, you're, uh, you're however, yeah. It, with my back issue, but if actually I take, so I'm going to take that back. I am so competitive that if yeah. if if the game were on the line and it came down to me having to take a charge on Corey McGetty, um and losing, then I'll take the charge and I'll and I'll deal with the pain and I'll go to physical therapy and acupuncture um, even more for a couple months. So I I can't. If that's the difference between a win and a loss, the problem is Pete. You might not get the call. And so, but yes, if I, if you could guarantee me that I'm going to get the call, then I'll, I'll sacrifice the body, even in a celeb game. I love you, Mike. Hey man, it's about, it's about the W. It just is. No charges in pickup. No charges. It, well, no and then charges. In pickup though, Darius, in pickup uh, to, to an extent, but if you're playing for something or if it's again, like if there's any kind of stakes whatsoever, other than just sort of the random Venice beach run where you just get there and you don't know anybody in the first game. Like I probably won't take a charge in that game, but if I know any of the people involved and especially if there's a crowd, especially if it's for uh, something, then, you know, you got to do it. You got to play to win. Are there refs? Yeah, there were refs in this. Okay. So if there's refs, I can understand the idea of trying to draw a charge. If there are no refs and you try to draw a charge in a game, we're going to have problems. Agreed. I don't care. Yeah. It's, it's not cool. If the, yeah, it, yeah. 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 
Because then you're because then you just get into the argument. Well, no, I was moving. No, you weren't. Yeah, you can't call your own. And you end up shooting for it anyway, right? Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Back All to, right. That's true. Back to Philly for a, a quick second before we move on Please. to the hated Celtics. We'll do we'll do Boston in the next show. We'll do Boston in the next show. We'll wrap up after this. I'm very interested to see. I think Gasol. I was talking about Drummond and how Drummond gave the Lakers some issues. Embiid is like Drummond times 10. Yeah. Right. And the ability for Embiid to draw fouls, he shot like 20 something free throws against the Celtics the other night. And he's just working for post position in a way that is prone to draw and initiate contact. And the Lakers had issues with that against a guy like Drummond, especially on the offensive glass. And so Embiid in that respect concerns me in ways that go beyond just the normal, like he's a really good player and you have to be concerned about every really good player. His specific strengths and attack points and the way that he can hurt you are going to be a very interesting challenge for a Lakers team that is big in its own right and physical in its own right, but can be prone to fouling and can be prone to getting put underneath the basket a little bit more than you would want. And if Embiid senses that, that can be problematic. So much of the conversation that we've had about the Lakers this season has been with the underlying understanding that they are the most talented team in the league. They're the defending champs and they're the overwhelming favorites to repeat. They are on paper and even in reality on in the record book, the best team in the NBA, the best, if I were to come up with the devil's advocate argument for why they will not win the best basketball argument I can make is the susceptibility to teams going through them. Now I'm saying that from, we've had little bits of evidence here and there where I've been like, huh, that's interesting. Like that team went right to the basket on right through our chest. It wasn't just Milwaukee. There've been a couple of other times, but it's also mixed in with this. This is not obviously our fully realized version of ourselves. I don't think I can make a particularly strong why the Lakers won't repeat argument without injuries coming into play. But if I were, again, that's what I think would be the best argument for it. So a game against Philly, that is such a physical team. That will be something that I'm have an especially keen eye on, on Wednesday to see if they are going through us. And if, when we want to, if we do at any point during that game, can we stop that? And I think we can, but it's what I'll have my eye on. Yeah. So I I think, I think we're going to disagree on this, point again because ultimately the Lakers best lineups are still LeBron and AD at kind of like the four or five defensively and then three guards and that's what they played last year whenever it mattered and, and nobody really went through them in those cases uh, now maybe they didn't have the right matchup but that I, I just think that athletically and intelligence wise uh, LeBron and AD are are good enough that that's that's not going to happen and I think Gasol can help there as well the the other point I make about Philly though I do think that the way that you beat them is that you, so if you just play, if you play really solid defensively, they have Danny green. Yes. They have Seth Curry, but still, you know, you have Simmons on the court. who's not a threat. If you just back up off him Embiid is plenty happy to take jump shots. Um, if you let him and just sort of keep like really stay disciplined, keep him out there, let him try to fall in love with that a little bit. And then Tobias Harris, you know, same thing. He's content to just loft a bunch of threes up. So I, I don't, I don't think Philly is as scary offensively as long as you're being disciplined with Embiid and you're getting back. And then the Lakers, that that's a team where you can run um, against them, you know, going back. And part of that is because of Embiid, you can get advantages in those sort of get a stop, 
get out and run, you know, don't let them get set up in their big half court type defense. Same thing with Dwight Howard when he comes in. So I think that that could be a nice formula. Um, and we saw the Lakers play like that a lot last year. Um, I think Schroeder can help in that kind of a game. So I know a couple of different thoughts there, um, guys, but, uh, but yeah, let, let me, uh, let me kick it back to whoever wants to, to jump out of that. So I go back to who was the really one big guy that we played in last year's playoffs. That's like big and physical, not bam, but it was Jokic. And part of the, I thought Dwight was important in that series. He wasn't playing, you know, 30 minutes a game. He was playing in the teens, but I do think that there are points of the game where I agree with you that our, our closing lineup, nobody's going to rival that between talent, fit and continuity. We have the best closing lineup in the game, but I do think that, part of the reason why we were able to succeed against the Nuggets is that the minutes where LeBron and AD are on the floor together are minutes where I think big physical teams can win those minutes against us to where we, yeah, you know what yes. I mean? No, you're totally right. But I don't, can't you just substitute Mark for Dwight? Like, that's what I would do. I would just stagger uh, in so, any game like that where you don't, where you're not like just, okay, either sub Mark out earlier to line up his, it's the same thing when they play the Clippers, like line his minutes up with Zubats, not Serge Ibaka. Um, if you're playing, you know, Jokic or like, that's all just stagger Mark's minutes and have him play the Dwight role. So hundred percent agree. What I'm saying is that this Philly game as much of a preview game can be for what that looks like. That's currently theoretical is like, can Mark fill the Dwight role? Cause they're, they're similar in strength, but they're not in athleticism. And right. yep. so it's, I, I agree with you. And I think that it's going to work out that way, right? Where if you just match up Mark against their big, it's going to work. But that's what's exciting to me about this Philly game in particular is that with both Embiid and Dwight, you've got these really physical guys. How can we cope, you know, deal with that when you also add Ben Simmons on top of that, Danny Green on top of that? They're a big physical team that I think uh, tests that component of what we do. So I know that we were going to end soon. And. Ha. I'm going to throw a little monkey wrench in that because I just wanted to have a brief Q&A with you guys. I want to ask you both a question about Anthony Davis because I think that he is the guy who we haven't talked about um, enough lately. We gave a lot of love to LeBron and AD had that great game in Chicago, but he and Mike, I heard you on the telecast recently as well, sort of providing, I think, appropriate context for some of AD's scoring issues and maybe lower points totals than what we would anticipate but he's been shooting a lot of jumpers lately guys and when the jumper is not falling it's a bit of a tricky thing I think AD is the solution to some of these questions that we're having about like what can the Lakers do defensively and are they going to be physical yep. enough and some of that's just going to be reliant on him to decide you know what like I'm going to take it away from a guy like Joel Embiid right? Like Joel Embiid's an MVP candidate. He's taking the mantle as the best big man in the game. Well, that was a mantle I just carried three months ago when I helped carry the Lakers to a championship. AD looked like he was what, like the one B in terms of conversations of the best players in the world. And this season has been trickier for him. I think um, he's been learning what it takes to sort of be a repeat player while also growing his game. And, and this is an idea I've been going through in terms of trying to write out some ideas for an article that I hope to post this week. But let me ask you guys, like how big is a game like the Philly game 
for example, Philly especially, for Anthony Davis? And what does getting back on track look like for him in your eyes if you even agree with the idea that he's a little bit off track? Not playing poorly overall, mind you, but just a little bit off track. Like, what say you both? I mean, with AD... He doesn't look like he's running particularly well to me. There have been a few trips up court where he's seemed to be laboring. So I do wonder if there's anything physical going on. But in the absence of any, uh, you know, anything too substantive along that, he's been on the injury report a couple of times and, and has missed a couple of games. But um, I really think, I know this is just simple, but I just think he needs to make his jumper by and large. Uh, he was five or six, I think, in the paint last night and over 10 on his jumpers or something like that. I know it was over nine and I, I counted at least one more jumper that he missed. So if the Philly game, like in terms of, is he the solution to issues like really big guys being able to go through us? Sort of. I mean, in that in that Anthony Davis is a great answer to any question, just like LeBron James is any a great answer to any basketball question. But I think the weakest defensive version that, of Anthony Davis that you get is against guys who can go through him. They will win some of those battles in ways that other types of players won't. And perimeter players who can shoot threes coming off of screens, which we've seen him defending more and more. But those are kind of like the borders of his very expansive defensive game. That's where you start seeing him become more human, see him become very good instead of one of the best in the world. So yeah, I, I think to some extent it it does. But I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm not I'm not too worried about AD and I think it's mostly just his jumper needs to fall. Where are you at on, the, on that, Mike? I'm going to shock you guys. I am zero worried about AD. Yeah, yeah. On defense, I think... You guys make a good point that in Pete, what you just said that there are some players who are physically going to be able to move them some, but if AD's locked in, those are the kind of guys that he can then pack from over the top. And that's what he <laughs> did with Drummond. That's what he did with Drummond when it mattered. So Drummond did get, he had his way for a while and then AD said, okay, enough. And he swatted his ass a, a couple of times like that. So that's, that's always going to be there. If the guy is, is if the guy is, you know, bigger, like Embiid Jokic style, I mean, same type of thing, like AD can go over the top with Jokic because of his athleticism. So Jokic can push him under the rim and then they get there in front of the rim and Jokic looks over, sees that AD's got his hand over the basketball. And it's like, damn, that's the problem with AD is that you're, you're never, he's never out of the play defensively, uh, yeah. no matter how yeah. big you are. And, and also if you're a guard, he can move, he can move his feet with you. Now, if you're Steph Curry, you might, or, or a Jamal Murray, a Dame Lillard, you might hit one step back that you have to adjust way over the top, but you're not going to eat on that all game. You're just not, it's too hard uh, against Davis. So defensively, he's good. Offensively. I, here's my take. I think early this season, the jumper translated from the bubble and it was wet. Everything was going in. And then he, he just hit a patch where for whatever reason, and this is, this has been the last couple of weeks, the jumper is not falling as much. I think it, part of it has to do with the free throw shooting and that he's questioning now what's going on at the free throw line. I think that's trend. That's now that was something that he had locked down confidence on. And so I think that extended to his jump shot and to his three. Now that it's the other way where he's thinking a little bit about his mechanics and the free throw, he's now thinking about his mechanics on the jump shot. So, and, and here's the beauty though, with Anthony Davis that he can still just get into the post. And as Darius tweeted the other day, it, there are, that's in Frank Vogel always says this. If he's not getting into the post, the Lakers can run some actions to get him in there. Right. Darius like that. Yeah. So that's, that's an important fix there too. And here's the P the bottom line for me. If he's hitting his jump shot, they're winning. You're, you're yeah. sort of screwed. If, if he's not, 
then you just find a ways to get him the ball in the paint and have him block three shots with three steals and play defense and let LeBron do more. And, and that's why it works, man. That's why the partnership works. So I will say that I mirror most of what you guys have said about lack of concern. Um, I do think that mostly it does come down to the jump shot and whether or not the jump shot's falling. Um, I mentioned this a few pods ago, and I know Pete shook his head at this a little bit, and I'm gonna, but I'm going to repeat it now because it's something that I think is true. Anthony Davis, as great as he is, and as much as he expanded his game in the bubble as a jump shooter, I still think in his heart of hearts, he is a finisher. And when you are a finisher, you still can be boosted up by help schematically and by help from your teammates. And I think last season in a season where it was so clearly LeBron and AD like six, seven, eight levels above every single one of their teammates in terms of what the pecking order was on the team, Everything was built around getting those guys the ball in the best positions to succeed. And LeBron, as a key ball handler, he did that for himself and he did that for other teammates. But AD, as primarily a finisher, got a bunch of opportunities, not only to play in isolation and shoot his jump shot, but in the pick and roll, in spin outs, in dump offs, in the open court. And I think, Pete, this speaks to him like not running as well lately. He is, when was the last time you saw AD get out and transition and get an easy basket that way? It's been a while I feel like but when this season started we started to look at AD as him elevating others around him he is so good he's going to make his jump shot he's going to open up space for Montrez Harrell he's going to open up space for Dennis Schroeder he's going to open up space for LeBron James the shooting carried over as Mike said but We've talked about this in regards to the Clippers and other jump shooting teams. At some point, the jumper cannot be the only thing that you rely on if you're going to be a super elite high-level player all the way through the playoffs. And for a player like AD, that necessitates a little bit more help schematically and a little bit more of a point of emphasis for his teammates to be looking for him. And one of the things I hope to see as the season progresses is more of that from his teammates and more of that from his coaches schematically saying, how can we get you in the best positions to succeed and not just rely on you being Anthony Davis? And that's my only point with this. And so I'm not concerned, but I just wanted to put it out there that I'm looking for the help me help you a little bit come from the other side a little bit more and not always being driven by AD's incredible talent level and skill. For me, I'm still on that boat of like, it's AD. It was the same thing as, you know, he didn't block a shot in the first four games and he's like, oh, well, I'm on the perimeter and all that. And uh, like, and then he blocks the first shot of the next game. Like if Anthony Davis wants a 15 free throw attempt game at any point, he's going to get it. And that's what he needs is one of those, but that's way more an Anthony Davis thing to me than a scheme thing or anything like that. But that is a conversation to be continued. Um, Lakers got Philly coming up on Wednesday, a little three game in four nights, Philly, Detroit, and Boston. We'll talk to you again before the Boston game. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by the Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Down.
Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.